Today's word comes from four different books of the Bible. First one comes from Psalm chapter 146, verses 9. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The second one comes from Deuteronomy chapter 27, verses 19. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And all the people shall say, Amen. The third one comes from Exodus, chapter 22, verses 21 to 24. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sore. And your wife shall become widows and your children fatherless. The last one comes from Zechariah chapter 7, verses 9 to 10. Thus said the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. This is the word of God. Um, we are in part three of our series on biblical justice, and actually, um, I, you know, the the we the pastor we had a kind of a very helpful talk to me um, this week. Hold on, the, the it wasn't printing this week, so I have to use my iPad, which I don't normally do. Um, and one of the things I was telling them is that there's just so much complexity of content, and. Um, it's hard to take these messages and, and put them into good bite-sized pieces. And I was telling them I feel this pressure to get this done in eight messages. And they were saying, why? You know, we could take a break over Christmas and then just continue. It's such an important series. Why don't we just do that? And I thought about that. I said, that makes sense. Let's do that. So I'm, I'm actually a lot more peace. <laughs> I don't feel this great urgency to stuff you with all, all the important content. And, uh, you know, we can try to have, you know, we could have a end in a kind of good, timely fashion, especially today we're going to go to the supper, um, which I think many of us really, really strongly need. Now let me get into today's message, which I have entitled, Divine Corporate Love Applied. Divine Corporate Love Applied. Let me give you the, the, the parts, and then um, I'll do a quick recap, and let's get into it, okay? Part one, justice is divine love corporately applied. I said to you last week that really justice is actually love. It's the love of God. It's actually a subset of the love of God. The love of God is like it's really who God is. And justice is actually a fundamental central aspect of his love. And thus to not have justice is really to not have the love of God. It's not to have God. Okay, so that's part one. Part two, 
covenant and relationships over money, power, and, let me put it in scare quotes, equality. Covenant and relationships over money, power, and equality. Our culture, when it comes to the issue of justice, is constantly fixated essentially on money and power and equality. Equality of money and power and status in society so you can get more money and power and privileges. That's how our culture tends to think about the issue of justice. It's not how the Bible talks about it. In the Bible, it's fundamentally, first and foremost, it's actually about covenant and relationships, okay? And then I want to close um, by giving you uh, um, the gospel through justice offers something really big. So, you know, we often tend to think about justice as primarily, you know, get those people who are bad, and certainly the Bible says that. And we, also, you know, we, we want a kind of flourishing society where people get something more beautiful. And, um, but the Bible talks about what is beautiful that's offered, that justice is going to. And I want to say justice offers sonship to orphans. That's part three. Justice offers sonship to orphans. That's something you never hear in our culture. What, what is, what's the Bible interested in offering to people, and um, and I don't know if you if you were if you're paying attention to all those verses that were listed, there's a there's a running theme through those verses. That's why um, I picked. I, I sound like I chair. There's so many verses like this. Okay, I just wanted you to feel this, but I, I I don't know if you noticed that that it's God is very seriously interested in certain sets of people when it comes to the question of justice. They're the acid test of whether we are a just people. And one of those, in the first category of those people is the fatherless. And so what does God want to offer? He wants to offer sonship to the fatherless. And we'll talk about that. Okay, so part one, justice is divine love corporately applied. Now, I hope this doesn't bore you, but I need to at least quickly give you a recap. What I'm trying to do is to kind of unfurl like a plant. It starts with the seed, and then each week that plant is growing. Hopefully like this plant is growing inside you of your mind and of your heart, and then it will bear fruits of justice and righteousness in your life, our life, as a we, as a people here at Revived Church. And so I started this way. In the first message, I said, first, what is justice? It is an eternal divine attribute of God's nature, of His character. There's never been a time when there hasn't been justice. Of course, there's never been a time when there hasn't been God. So all offenses against justice are first and foremost against the very being and person, the nature and character of God because there isn't some, comp there isn't some compartment of God that's called the justice compartment. Justice is really just Him, okay? So that's the first thing I wanted to give you. Justice is really an attribute of God Himself, Next thing I taught you is there's an important, there's an important distinction in the Bible between what, we call, what the theologians have called retributive justice and restorative justice. And all those who violate justice will get the retribution, the vengeance, the judgment, the condemnation, the wrath. That's why a lot of these, that's why a lot of these passages are so terrifying. But at the same time, God will bring profound restoration into a deep, broken world of injustice and especially those who have been hurt and oppressed and captive and blind. And last week I talked about 
I started this subject that first and foremost, um, the call, love your neighbor and the call for justice is really the same thing. The central command of God is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And we love our neighbors in and through God in the way God wants us to. And then, so if God is himself justice, the only way to love our neighbor always is with justice, with righteousness. And so, and um, one last thing I wanted to say before I get into today's message that recaps. Last week I also taught you that the whole world is filled with failure. Failure of justice. And we're regularly not seeing people as people. In the profoundly, um, the profoundly infinite worth that they have made an image of God. That's why God loves them. And thus, we treat them as less than that, and that's where the injustice begins, okay? Okay, let's, let's get into it finally, all right. So I already, start, first I want to tell you this. Justice is a subset of love. Now, I, want to, I have to give you a little picture of God here. The Bible famously says in 1 John that God is love. It doesn't mean that God is a grand feeling. That love is so central to who God is that the Bible could even say God is love. But when we, in our culture, in our time, we have very profound blindnesses about what is love. We tend to think that love is a piece of emotion and sentimentality that we have only for certain people. So if you don't have certain kinds of feelings for these people, then you don't love them. Okay, you only love, say, your family or your wife or your girlfriend or your best friend. And then everybody says, no, you don't have love for them. They're just strangers or they're just abstract people. But that isn't how God looks at this. And to a certain extent, part of it is because, um, part of it is because, you know, we're just limited beings. When we look at people, you, you can have some kind of conceptual idea that they have great infinite worth as a human being, but it's really hard. We have such very limited... Lim you look at a person, you're like, okay, she's a woman. She's five foot three. She's Asian. Okay? That's, and then you just have your stereotypes of what that means. And some of it's right and some of it's wrong. And in her case, it could be completely wrong, actually. Right? And may, or maybe it might be some... And this is kind of how we are with all these people. We just show up with such little knowledge. And, but when God looks at everybody, he sees him completely. He sees them all completely. And he does not look on the outside. He doesn't look, just go, okay, you know, he's white. You know, therefore, you know, America is a country and white people haven't been very good to black people. And he's white. And that's like the feature that just stands out. That's, that's a common thing that's going on today. That's not, that's not how God looks at people. God sees the full totality of the person. And most importantly, he also sees into the depths of who they are and he sees that they're, they're absolutely special, made in the image of God. And with that infinite worth, they all must be treated with, a very, in, in, with, the most, with the highest and most special regard. And anything that falls below that regard is what the Bible would call unrighteousness. It would call it wickedness or sin. So there's, there's a fundamental kind of minimum of regard of how we treat human beings, how we look at human beings, what our attitude is toward other human beings. And when God sees them, that's, that's the way God sees them. 
And it always is coming from a movement of love. So that's the first thing I want to say. So it's not always primarily sentimental and emotional. Second thing is, God is not compartmentalized. He doesn't have his justice compartment over here. And then he's got like his, you know, gushy feeling compartment. He's like, oh, I really, you know, have good feelings toward you. And now I'm going to put my judge's hat on. And now I'm going to like, you know, judge you according to law. That isn't how God is. God is always fully, perfectly just and loving. And I just said the same thing. Did you hear what I just said? So his righteousness, his holiness is never apart from his love. In some simple way, I could just put it this way. The Bible is about a God who is infinite, omniscient, omnipotent. Everybody kind of, kind of intuitively knows that. Even non-Christians know that. The Muslims have the same doctrine. Infinite, omnipotent, omniscient. The Jews have that. Some others have had that. But then the Bible talks about him having a particularly very special character. He is love who is utterly righteous and holy. And so what is the movement of righteousness and holiness in love and how you regard your neighbors? That's called justice. So justice is not something fundamentally different than the love of God toward people. And so when he made us in his image and then how we, how we shape human community, we're supposed to go out and have regard toward these very, very special people all around us. And if that regard and that attitude and treatment drops below a certain, before, below a certain standard, then that isn't love, that is not justice nor righteousness. Okay, you following me? I know it sounds kind of abstract, I know, but it's really important that you begin to understand the full totality of God, that holiness and righteousness and love are always together, and you can especially see this in justice. We tend to think of justice over here and love over here. In God, they're one and the same. And so, that's the first thing. So I want to say that, okay? And with that said, in the Bible, so this is all through the Old Testament and the New Testament too, there are three particular subsets of kinds of people that the, that the Word of God regularly repeats. And they're the acid tests of whether we are a just people. And if we mistreat this, these three categories of people, we drop below the standard. Let's, let's put it that way. We'll be, not just in terms of how we treat them, but you know, very, the way we look at them, our attitudes toward them, that's injustice. That's where it starts. Injustice isn't just about laws and systems and government. It starts fundamentally with how do human beings look and see other human beings. And these three types of people so this is really, really helpful here. I hope they're very, very important. And so let's get into it. And let, you'll, it's not complicated. So I just want to give you, I just chose these. There, there, there are tons of verses that talk like this. And I just chose these to try to, you know, offer you to, and you can feel this, okay? So let's just, let me just read them again, okay? And I'm going to read Psalm 40, 146, verse 9, and our sister just read the verse, just for sake of time, she just read this part. The Lord Yahweh, that's his name, capital L-O-R-D, that's his name. Yahweh watches over the sojourners, the sojourners. The sojourners is kind of an old word that means um, foreigners, immigrants, 
outsiders. Um, in our culture, people have different skin color. How about that? They're not Americans. So the Lord watches over the foreigners, the outsiders. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. There you go. You have the three camps. The sojourner, the outsider, the foreigner, the alien. Sometimes some translation goes, the alien. The widow and the fathers. Today we would tend to call them minorities. Minorities, that probably be the term that we would use. So let me say this. The Lord watches over minorities. He upholds the widow and the fathers. We might call them orphans. But the Bible is very explicit. The word is always fatherless. And it's really important, and I can't get into that all today, but these are the three groups of people. Now, let me, um, I'm just going to read this out loud. I want you to hear the weight of this. Psalm 146, verse 5, and then you can hear it in context, okay? Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in Yahweh his God. So if you, your hope, your help is the God of Jacob, then you're blessed. The Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, Yahweh sets the prisoners free. Yahweh opens the eyes of the blind. Yahweh lifts up those who are bowed down. Yahweh loves the righteous. So, you know, we, we start with, you know, the theme text is Luke chapter 4. Jesus talks about, you know, um, making those who are blind to be able to see. Here we go. Yahweh opens the eyes of the blind. He lifts up those who are bowed down. In other words, those who feel crushed down by the powerful. And he loves righteous, the righteous. And then it says, Yahweh watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. You can feel that. There's the retributive justice. You see it? You all, in, in so many of these texts, I want you to feel this. I started with this teaching that there's a restorative justice, there's a, there's a retributive justice. God's heart for the most downtrodden, and these, particular, these three particular categories of the downtrodden, God, he, he absolutely calls upon us to offer restoration and mercy to them, and if we don't, that's injustice. And if we don't, there'll be retribution. Okay? So the Bible is very, very serious, and in so many ways, these are the ways the verses come up. Every time we go through these verses, I want you to hear that. You can feel both the retributive, retributive justice of God, where basically He will threaten to kill us, burn us, if we do not live according to justice. And at the same time, he will offer a vision of what it looks like and is especially geared to these three camps of people. Okay, let's go to just next verse. This is simple, Deuteronomy 27, 19. By the way, um, Deuteronomy, this is out of the law of Moses, one of the first five books of the Bible. It's the fundamental, it lays down the covenant. So simple, here's verse 19. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the minority, to the outsider, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, and all the people shall say, Amen. 
And just let, just, just let me just stop for a moment here. Um, you should say amen. If you are really of the people of God in your heart, it shouldn't just be like a piece of religion. Amen. Amen. You know, like, you know, this kind of like, that's pharisaical. If we just kind of give lip service to it from our heart, we should have profound agreement with God, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, to pervert just against them. Let them be cursed. Both. Amen. The people who will pervert justice, may they be cursed. God is saying, amen that. I know it's kind of scary. And that's saying, we sure don't want to be on that side. We want real justice in the world. And God is saying, here, be on that part. Let me, so, I'm not trying to scare you, but... <laughs> um, so, uh, here's Exodus 22, 21 and 24. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him. So here, here we go. It's, it's, I'm, trying, I'm not trying to scare you, but it should scare you, okay? For you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. You know what it's saying? You used to be the outsider. You used to be the minority. People used to be racist to you. That's, he was talking to, to Israel. So how can you be racist to them? How can you just say, you're not one of our ethnicity. So we'll pay you less and we'll exploit you. It's a very common thing in America. And God says, that's not how you should be. You should not be this way because that's what you were. But I chose you. And he goes on. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. And here's the part. Here we go. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. So whose side has gone on? This is really important. Regularly in the Bible, it says again and again and again, whose side has gone on? He's on their side. <laughs> He's on their side. And if they cry out to him, if you are on the side that perverts justice and mistreats the sojourner, the widow and the fatherless, he will not be on your side. It's important to understand this. You're on the wrong side of his justice. And then, here's what will happen, okay? I will surely hear their cry, verse 24, and my wrath will burn. And I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall become widows, and your children fatherless. Is that this is a, it is a threat. It is a judgment that God is saying is going to happen. This, understand, this is what God is going to say to his people. This is his people. He's not talking to the Assyrians or the Babylonians who are violent, oppressive, racist people. I mean, because quite frankly, violent, oppressive, and racist, it's pretty typical. And generally, all the people who rise in power, they rise in power in history, usually on the backs of some other minority and often by downtrodden the poor and the weak and especially caring nothing about widows and the fatherless. Often saying, oh, you're a widow. No, no man in your life. Okay, let's carry you off. We'll put you into the sex slave trade. That's what we call it in the modern world. In the old world, they just call it, we'll just turn you into a concubine. 
Today we call it the sex slave trade. Oh, you, you got no daddy. We'll just, you know, we'll, oh, well, okay, you're kind of good looking. We'll turn you into a prostitute. Oh, you're kind of smart. I'm just going to make you a slave in my house. And you have to be a slave for the rest of your life. I own you. I don't have to pay you much. It's all the life you got. Because there was no daddy. There was no identity. And this, this makes God wrathful. And if he saw his own people do it, when he saw his own people do it, he's basically saying, okay then, I will basically kill you. With the sword, that means I'll let you end up in war and lose. And then you will get to find out and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. And all the injustice and oppression, you'll get what you, you have sowed injustice and oppression, and now you'll get it. And so God is very just in this way too. We treat people with injustice and oppression. And somewhere along the line, the society will start to cave and fall apart. And we as a people who treat people this way, that's what we'll get. Okay. One more verse, and then let me say, I'll have to be brief about part two, and then we'll, because I need to get to part three. That's the good part, okay? Um, Zechariah 7, verse 9 and 10. Thus says Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, Yahweh, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. Not just in the laws. Not just in the way you run your business. Not just in... Um, let, let's put it this way. I'll just give you an example. Um, in public, if you say anything about certain brown-skinned people in our culture today, <laughs> you just get torched. You get canceled or something like this, right? But in private, we have these thoughts all the time. And in culture, every culture has their racism. And almost always, it's, it's, it's got a socioeconomic component. The people who are richer, better educated, the so-called more advanced cultures, they just immediately look down on those other cultures. And when they meet them, it's like a, avoiding them in the stores, giving them the finger while you drive. That's, that's how our city does it. Right? Do not devise evil against them from your heart. And I hope this is convicting to you. It's very convicting to me. And as you can see, from the heart, we're so set in the ways of the world like this that, that we do this. And today it's become politicized. Oh, they're Republican. And we devise evil against them in our heart. Oh, they're Democrat. And we devise evil against them in our heart. But he says, render true judgment not narrative. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Kindness and mercy. And then especially to these, 
to the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, and the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. Okay, let's go to part two. Covenant and relationships over money, power, and equality. So if you go through the Bible, it'll never talk about a person's skin color, okay? Let me tell you there. There's no division between white versus black in the Bible. It's not like that. Maybe the closest sometimes you get is like uh, Jew and Gentile. But then Israel, God calls up Israel for the way the Israelites don't take in the sojourners. It's really interesting. And here's the part I want you to get. I want you to think about these three qualities. Sojourner, or the foreigner, or the outsider, called outsider, the alien, the minority, whatever term you prefer. The fatherless and the widow. In our culture, we always want equality of privileges, equality of results, money, and power. Thus, we think we'll have justice. When all the black people and all the white people have the equality of the same money, and can get all the same jobs, then we have justice, right? That's not how the Bible thinks at all. When the Bible talks about it, actually, you know what's important? It's the relationships. It's the relationships. All three. Look, who are the sojourners? They have certain kinds of relationships with those people who are Israelites. Who's the fatherless? They're missing someone really, really important in relationship. The widow, she's lacking profoundly in relationship. You know what's the most important gift you can offer people when they lack? When you look at them, please don't look at them first about money. Please don't look first at their money. or their, that, That's a very biblically, very, very shallow way of looking at people. In the Bible, you have to start thinking, if you really start thinking according to the Bible, you should meet a person and they might... They might have a good education, and then they might have money. And then when you start getting into their life, you might find out that they had an abusive father who then abandoned them and abandoned their mom. And you know what that is? Fatherless and widow. The person looks like they got money, and, and then they know how to behave in the good way. But inside, there's profound hurt and lack. In our society, we multiply fatherless and widow. And we regularly mistreat the outsider and sojourner, not even always necessarily in the way our political narratives think. It's relationships. So the covenant of God is that he will marry a people. He will be their king and their ruler. And then... They will then treat all the people the way he loves them because he's married to the people. And that standard and obligation, that's what we call covenant. And inside of that, that, that vision of how we treat other people, we have to think in terms of covenantal relationships. So it's relationships that's tremendously important. Let's just give you just one tweak on this, or like, not a tweak, but like an example so some of you, um, you know, you were with us out of the church at which we were planted. We, for about 10 years, we've been going to a Native American reservation. One of the things that I, as a leader of that mission, regularly, I have to fight my own team, my own team, 
We're talking about the Christians from our church. They regularly see the visible financial poverty of the Native Americans on the reservation and goes, oh, they're poor. We're here to help them because we have money and privileges and they don't. Let me tell you, that is not a biblically just way of looking at them. If you then start to meet them, you know what you start finding out? Fatherless, widow. They're all three. They're outsiders, sojourners, minorities into the benefits of our society. They're fatherless. They're widows. And you know what they need? Before, they need our pity or our money or certainly not our welfare. You know what they need? They need relationships. So that those who are fatherless can gain the profound security of what it means that God could be their father. Because a person who is fatherless, just, I'm just going to start here. A person who is fatherless, their first fundamental lack is not money. Their first fundamental lack is not money. Their lack is there's not a person inside them that has given them a name, that has given them a purpose, that has given them standards, that has said, I'll be there for you. I'll sacrifice for you. That has given them all of their gifts. That's what fathers do. And I'll pour myself into you. See, all of that's not there. In their heart, in their life, in their outlook. And then this is not there in other ways. So, you know, we just think, if we could just get certain skin colored people to college, then everything will work out. Well, you know, if they don't have the connections of their dad, it doesn't tend to work out. See? So fatherlessness, there's, it's, it's a profound lack. And they're so much more vulnerable in society. They're so much more vulnerable toward abuse, exploitation, to be used, to be enslaved. So the Bible talks about relationship. And that's the pathway. Don't you think about that. That's I'm just going to stop there. Now let's, get, now let's get to the good part, okay? We need some good, good news. I, I've been thinking about how to offer you the gospel into this heavy word. And I want to give you um, a verse in the New Testament, which this is how the Bible is. The Bible tells you who we're supposed to be, and then, then they tell you how, how totally screwed up we are. And then oftentimes in the Bible said because we're so screwed up and then we refuse to change and we really don't want to change. Then we'll be under God's judgment. He'll be under his retributive justice. But then there's offered a good news. A redeemer. Who, he who is justice came to offer the gifts of justice. And I want you to hear this. This is Galatians chapter 4 verse 3 to 7. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So let's just start with this. The world just makes it completely normal that they offers a kind of false half-truth, maybe not even half-truth, mostly lies version of justice. And then says, here are the powerful people in the world, and if you're going to be somebody, you have to have privileges and power, otherwise you're nobody. 
Those are the complete normal, what the Bible is, the elementary principles of the world, and everybody's enslaved to them. And that's why we're so fixated. We've got to get an education. We've got to run the rat race. We've got to make money. And dude, if my, if, my, if my boss thinks I'm like a Christian, then I, I could, you know, maybe get laid off soon. So I kind of have to stay in the closet about that. Elementary principles of the world. Enslaved in systems and habits of injustice and unrighteousness where human beings treat each other like people who can be dismissed. Verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, what's the fullness of time? When the, when the promises of the Messiah were going to be fulfilled. That's what, what, what it means. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, born under Exodus and Deuteronomy, the standards of justice under God, which, the way, which God set through the law of Moses. Born, under, born of woman, that means He became one of us. Born under the law, under the standards. Verse 5, why? To redeem those who were under the law. See, we're under this justice standard of the law. And we're failing it. So that we might receive what? This is the good part. Adoption as sons. Adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So let me try to, talk to say the good news to you this way. If you think first and foremost, so many people I've gone to the reservation with, we, we go to the reservation and we see ourselves as kind of like richer, more privileged San Jose Asians and then we see poor Native Americans. Because we have money and education and we live in quote-unquote nicer houses and, and clothes, we see ourselves as the better off people and then we give them pity. Not justice, but pity. You know what they need? They need a father. And you know what you and I need? Not our money, not our pride, not our degrees, not our privilege, not our fancier houses. Because you and I, if you don't have God, you're fatherless. You're alone in the world. And when school, when your boss, and when different skin color people tell you, you're not much. But if you work super hard, we'll give you this little carrot, and you can join the cool club, the, the, the with it club, and you won't be down there with the nobody people. But if you have a real father who will say, that's nonsense, you are my son. And all my glory and all my name and all my love will fill you up. You'll never be alone when you go into the world. And you'll have power. And so most of us, we come to the world and we tend to think God is some distant person. We tend to be afraid of him because of these passages that say like, God will kill us or he'll burn us when we fail him under the law because we will and we do. But you know what God is offering? 
He's offering, say, I'll be your father. Even if we didn't have good fathers. Many of us didn't have good fathers. Maybe you had a bad father. Maybe you had no father. Even if you had a good father and then you go out into the world and then you're away from your father and now you're, I got to make it. I gotta, you know, now you go to your company and then you go to your company and you just think, now you're a slave. It's like you stop being a son, you're just a slave in your company or at school or on social media. I want to just say a little something about this. Some of you are going, sonship. You're like, I'm a woman. And sonship, that doesn't sound, like that seems sexist. I want, to, I want to say something about this. And I want to say something about why it's so great that the women get sonship. Okay? And I want to say this, and I want to say one more thing, and then we'll close. I'm a daughter of God, Absolutely. But you know why, why, why the Bible doesn't even, doesn't even trust? Well, you're a son or a daughter of God. It, no, it doesn't do that. You just get to be a son. You get to be, it's like, it's weird. You get to be made a son of God even though you're a woman. Isn't that strange? It's not because the Bible is sexist. It's not because God doesn't, doesn't um, absolutely consider your, your, your feminine nature, you as a woman, very precious and beautiful and wonderful. Of course not. Because in the text, in the ancient world, there was never the same equality of status and value in the family. These are, you know, whether you're Roman or whether you're Jewish, you know what they were? They, they believe in what's called primal geniture. Primal means the first and geniture means firstborn. And you know what? It was always the firstborn son. The firstborn son got the name of the father. The firstborn son got the power of the father. He got the authority of the father. The firstborn son got the riches and the authority and all of his privileges. The firstborn son. And you know what the Bible is saying? God sent his son who has all of those. He was the firstborn son. And then he said, all that is his, he will die and take upon all the retributive justice that we, he, that we deserve, he took that upon us, so that all that is from the Father for him as the first son, he would give it to all of us, women included, sonship. You hearing that, ladies? Women included, sonship. And so that every profound privilege, honor, righteousness, and riches of Jesus is given to us by grace through him. And what is the goal of justice? I want to start this way. It's the, way we, the goal of justice is that God our Father will look at a world of orphans and fatherless, inside bereft, filled with their False understandings of justice running around the world alone, lied to, exploited, enslaved. And if you and I will first begin to understand, it's not about the money first. We were all fatherless until God sent his son, Jesus, to make all of us, men and women, 
the absolute gifts of the way he is pre- that Jesus is precious before God. We have all of that by grace. I don't know how many of you can really begin to think about that, and we're going to start unpacking that more and more. This is just the first. We'll talk about the widows, and we'll talk about the outsiders, and we'll talk about the gifts of the gospel and all those. But first and foremost, brothers and sisters, apart from Jesus, we're all fatherless. And then we fatherless ones go out there doing bad justice or injustice. But the true son came to take upon all the justice we deserved, the retributive justice, and then give us all the justice we did not deserve, the restorative justice, and better than that, so that justice would give us a father and the full name of the son. Let's pray and go to the table of the Lord. Father, we who go out into the world and regularly we care about all the other messages and all the other words and the false justice of the world, if we even care about justice at all. We often think that we're these very autonomous, self-sufficient individuals. But autonomous, self-sufficient individuals are fatherless, lonely, weak, lied to, easy to exploit. And we get exploited and we do exploit. But thank you that you sent your son, Jesus. Not only that we would be forgiven of our sins and washed of all our injustice, but that we would be embraced by you and have you as father and all of us have the full totality of being loved and beloved and known like your son. Help us to offer this to our neighbors. Help us to live inside of this and understand that this great profound gift of the gospel, this is really the beginning of real, the movement to real justice and us seeing our neighbors in true love and justice. This is how you see us weak and fatherless and desperately in need of you. Help us to run to you, Father, and be your children and then thus go out into the world in sonship. In Jesus' name, amen.